0: I'll be better. Ma-
1: you're watching my fellow americans with your host spike
2: cohen yes 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 it's me it's me keep clapping Clap to fight against the dark psychic force of collectivized hatred. How will we know you were against the dark psychic force of collectivized hatred if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. I am so happy to be here with you tonight, and I'm extremely happy to be live with you on YouTube. They tried to take us down. Uh, they tried to take down our ability to live stream, but we fought them and won. We don't know how. We're not sure how we won, but we did win. Uh, and now we're coming to you live on YouTube, Google Zero, Muddied Waters Media 1. I wield tremendous power in these hands. Uh, this is a Muddy Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, on Anchor, on Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play, anywhere on the internet that you would expect to see something like this. We will almost assuredly be there. Check us out everywhere. Like us, follow us, hit us with five-star reviews. If, you, if there's a bell to hit on YouTube, there's a bell, hit bells. If there's any bell, hit the bell, if applicable. Um, and be sure to share this right now. The last thing I want is for you, any of your closest loved ones, to miss a roughly hour-long libertarian anarchist podcast on a Wednesday evening. So be sure to share this. Give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This program is brought to you by Anchor FM. Uh, I will be plugging that later, roughly halfway through this program, probably at a very inappropriate moment. Uh, the intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans is from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook, on SoundCloud, On SoundCloud. go to Music.bandcamp.com, buy his entire discography. It's like 15 bucks. You'll be so happy. I'd like to thank Kroger for this delicious, purified drinking water that I drink on this and... Most episodes, not all episodes, but most episodes of My Fellow Americans. Boulevardaka. Shout out to Tehran Turks' his mom and him, guys. My guest tonight is an absolute, absolutely amazing human being. She has been very active in the Liberty Movement, a libertarian household name, if you will. If you can picture a libertarian household, uh, she would be a name in it for 15 years now. She is currently running for the Libertarian Party nomination to be the next president of the United States. Uh, her platform is absolutely remarkable. I am so excited to have her on. Without further ado, my fellow Americans, please join me in welcoming to the show, Madam Future President Kim Ruff. Kim, thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> I'm really Sorry, excited. I've been laughing in the background during your intro.
2: <laughs> no, I know I was trying to keep it straight while I was hearing you like laughing the whole time. So I appreciate that. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that I was that I'm jealous that you were on Matt's show, The Writer's Block, first before mine. I am going to say that as soon as you guys signed off, I was in your DMs uh, requesting that you be on my show, and also that I cried a little. So
1: in my DMs, actually, which is I, no,
2: first- that's what I, yeah, it was like uh, crying <laughs> emojis. Would you like to be on my show? And you're like, sure.
1: Oh, he seems pathetic. Okay, I,
2: I guess so. So thank you, thank you for buying my 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 uh, my desperate person shtick. It worked for my wife too, so it's just it's been a good thing. I've had a good run with it, so thank you. And uh, guys, be, guys, be sure to comment with your with your thoughts and questions. And Kim and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. Now, Kim, this is your first time on the show, and uh, whenever I have a guest on for the first time, the first question I always ask is, "What brought you to libertarianism? Uh, would you say it was kind of an aha moment or a gradual evolution? tell, tell us about that."
1: I think. In my case, it was more of a gradual evolution. It was a conflation of factors. I was raised uh, Republican. We live in Arizona, and so that's very much a a very Goldwater Republican state. Right. And so I kind of came from that bent, very much of the free market mindset. And then after 9-11 and just watching the excuses used to increase the amount of power vested in the federal government warrantless wiretapping with the USA Patriot Act, suspension of habeas corpus for declared terrorists, and then, of course, invasions in Iraq and Afghanistan. That turned me off from the GOP. The additional factor that had a huge impact on me is GLPT rights. Um, One of the gigs that I had for about a decade was I wrote movie reviews for a local gay magazine, an entertainment magazine. Okay. So a lot of my friends are in the community, and having seen just the... Institution of social programs to penalize homosexuals. It really that was another thing that really turned me off in the GOP. But I was never a Democrat, and that was never something that I leaned toward. I'm not a proponent at all of using government to do do really anything for that matter. (laughs) So the natural response was to look at the Libertarian Party. A friend of mine who knew about it suggested it. I read the platform. I loved everything they had to say. It was like the first time in my life where I felt this was reflective of my personal views that i'd acquired over the course of my life and so i immediately changed voter registration in about 2005 and i got involved in the party in 2009 after i graduated from college
2: very cool and so so you aren't one of these libertarians who who are like well not a big fan of this part of the platform but i really support you know 80% of it or whatever you're kind of like you look at that and you're like yes this is what i believe
1: yeah i really love our platform and what i particularly like about our platform is the this- statement of principles, because I think it's just such a a beautifully encapsulated summary of everything that we stand for as libertarians, the recognition that it is totally unethical and immoral to use force to enact your will. So that's something that we vehemently reject. And the natural response to that is to reject government because government has a monopoly on force, or at least the state version of it has a monopoly on force, whereas you can have a voluntary government. But that's a a separate discussion for another time, unless you want to get into those. But yeah, the, then the platform itself is just an expansion on how those ideas translate to various different aspects of policy or programs, and it's it's really very well done, and I don't I don't have any objection or issue to it at all. In fact, I love the fact that we just added another plank to it where we talked about sex work. Now, yeah, point.
2: the sex work something work plank, that we've yeah. been
1: talking about for a very long time. I'm glad that now our national platform has a plank specifically talking about how that is totally acceptable we don't have any issue with it and there's no reason for government to penalize people for engaging in that
2: right and i mean to be fair obviously the platform before that the logical conclusion of that was that sex work was was not something to be legislated or or controlled by 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 a a, you know by a controlling state this just puts it out in no in no uh uh uh, in, in no uncertain terms that you know this is something that we support now what led you so you've been doing this for about 15 years now which in libertarian years is like 60 years it's a long time to be it's a long time to be a libertarian um what would you say led you to decide to run for president
1: okay well just to clarify it's actually been 10 years i started getting involved directly in 2009 i mean if you want to count the time that i changed my political registration yeah 15 but as far as activism goes 10. um the reason why i decided to run for president having come from being kind of an intra-party politics person, you know, working in that capacity, holding positions of authority or working in committees and and doing stuff of that nature with the party directly, was the recognition that we need to have somebody on the national stage who's able to articulate these values and do so without error and without creating a situation where where our activists or down-ballot candidates are effectively correcting misapprehensions voters might hold about what we believe. That's something that we've struggled with because historically we've deferred to the concept of name recognition or the potential of getting a certain amount of votes or, you know, a vote threshold or acquiring a war chest, supposedly this amazing pot of gold that's going to come our way. (laughs) If we ran this, yes, you know, this Mm. person, but this person will, when they do get media attention, they will neglect to really hit home. Some of the things that make us so distinctly unique and wonderful compared to the two major parties. So, Since I've been doing this on a local level, you know, going and doing petition drives or voter registration drives, you know, just tabling and where you have that conversation all the time and you have to answer these questions all the time. We know this backwards and forwards. Who's better to represent our party than our amazing activists? So when I threw my hat in the ring, it was sort of a, a call to arms for everyone, not so much like it needs to be me, it doesn't have to be me but we all have that capability of being that awesome representative and we should step up we should stop saying someone should come save us and instead take control of it and do it ourselves
2: we need a very fame well very famous a person with some level of name recognition in the double digits who we have to teach how to be a libertarian while they run for president as a libertarian um so what's
1: Jesus doing <laughs> Can we get him on the horn? <laughs> pretty sure
2: I'm pretty sure Jesus would know libertarianism. I, I just feel like innately he would know we wouldn't have to like walk him through it. But yes, it's that same. We're looking for the former Republican Jesus that's going to walk us to the the holy land of five percent. Anyway, I, I I that whole thing is anyway. So and
1: he parteth the Red Seas,
2: five <laughs> percent. Not win, not win. Just get five percent doesn't matter if he's a libertarian or not. We just need 5%. That's literally what we care about. Um, so it's January 2021, right? Yeah. It's January 2021. You have been... Okay. You have been... This show's not even happening anymore. You have been inaugurated president. What do the first hundred days of the rough Phillips administration look like?
1: Well... To, uh, to give a little hat tip to my friend and one of our, our campaign members, Craig Bowden, he wanted me to make sure that I was explicit in saying that the first three or four days will be spent dealing with parties and calling dignitaries and foreign heads of state and saying, hey, thanks. And how's it going? So he wanted to make sure that I was clear about that. Like, there's going to be some administrative stuff first. Right, but right, as far right. as the first 100 days, the big things that we are really trying to hit home is that we're vehemently, passionately anti-war. We need to end those full stop and we need yeah. to remove our troops, bring them back home. We need to close overseas bases. We need to stop being the aggressor on the international stage. An addendum to that, and we actually covered this in an interview last night because John and I did that together, is the, the issue of tariffs, which is you know dovetails into the whole thing with the free market. We want to have a free market both domestically and internationally. And the best way to foster healthy international relations is to show respect diplomacy, and of course, engage in a free market situation. When we deny a free market opportunity, we are denying ourselves a wealth of information, products and services that are going to make us as individuals in a society better. We're effectively stymieing our growth, not just economically, but intellectually as well. So it's important that we do get rid of tariffs and that we open up free trade. Additionally, we shouldn't have any preference or a relationship with anyone that gives them greater consideration or deference over any other, it really should just be based on who has the superior product or service. So that's something that, that needs to be done. And the other thing that's hugely important for me is criminal justice reform. Yeah. And granted, I can't do that on a state level, though I can certainly talk about what's wrong at the state level, but on a federal level, I can do something about that. And it's hugely important to me to basically hold all federal pres- prosecutors responsible for valuing a conviction over actually seeking the truth. The whole point and purpose of our Jeffersonian model of jurisprudence was to basically ensure that regardless of economic status or station, individuals were given the same representation and consideration in the court of law. They were to be treated equally. That's why we have civil liberties. That's why you have habeas corpus and mens and actus rea. That's why you have the process. All of that stuff is designed to prevent you from being Victimized by the state. And the purpose of a prosecutor is to seek the truth, not a conviction, the truth. That's their job. But obviously, when they are rewarded for conviction rates, when they're right. rewarded for, you know, when police are rewarded for arresting people and prosecutors are rewarded for putting people in jail, then there is no incentive to find the truth. There's only incentive to continue to enact harm. So that's something that really needs to be brought to light, and that means that people who have committed no real crime, and this means like there's no victim. Right. We have a whole bunch of laws that say you're a criminal for doing all sorts of things, but a Every law. Every day, not.
2: yeah, yep.
1: Right, but that law is not necessarily indicative of an actual crime. A crime is where there's a victim. If you choose to smoke a joint, who are you harming? No one. I mean, I suppose some people could make the argument that you're harming yourself, but they're going to put you in prison to teach you a lesson because you're harming yourself. That's absurd. If you your eat body, too- you're
2: right. if you eat too many carbs, you're harming yourself. Like, where is the line that we draw? That if you know, if you're doing, you know, X, Y, Z, but th- you know, you can harm yourself up to this point. Up to this point, we care so much about you, we're going to put you in a cage to keep you from harming yourself. That'll fix it.
1: That's right. It's okay for you to drink beer, but my God, if you have <laughs> a big gulp
2: you're going to slammer <laughs> if you have like, <laughs> if you if you you can have 2 beers if you have 4 beers you're out of here no That's it's right. re- and, and 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 like you said the, the system right now we, we talk about presumption of innocence and yet because it's a i guess merit based system or a points based system the entire system is predicated on you have to get as many, if you're a police officer, as many arrests as possible. If you're a prosecutor, you have to get as many prosecutions as possible and or as many convictions as possible. And the problem is that assumes that everyone that gets in front of you is guilty and you just have to adjudicate them into being guilty. You have to process them to guilt. And that's how we end up with the system we have now. So I, I was very interested in reading your, you have some very bold positions, ending all the current wars uh essentially opening the borders and 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 giving amnesty to, the, to peaceful people that are here already illegally uh pardoning all felons of victimist cl- crimes you said that titanic was not a good movie uh that was very bold um and uh <laughs> by the way you made matt's day with that because that's a big that's a big chip he has on his shoulder since like 1998 or whenever that came out that that was a terrible yeah. movie and
1: I don't recall. I mean, did we get into the weeds on that one? Because I have so I went to school for film. I want to let you know this. Like before okay. I got my degrees in communication, poli sci, I have an associates in applied science and motion picture television. And then I think I spent a solid decade pretending I was Martin Scorsese and just watching movies back to back to back. Right. So there's a whole period of time where I never went on dates. But <laughs>
0: the point is, who needs but
2: dates? I just, you have yeah, American yeah. film. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. They interrupt anyway. They want to talk about themselves. I'm trying to watch the movie.
2: <laughs> exactly. But yeah,
1: the when the when Titanic came out, I was in high school. And at the time, and I'm just ashamed to admit it, like this is the lowest point in time in my life. And if this is the worst thing I ever did, I guess I'm doing okay. I came home and I sobbed for the love of Jack and Rose. I did my little girlish oh, wow. teeny part. Oh, sobbed wow. for them. Now, mind you, I was a goth in high school. That's not okay. (laughs) Like, we don't sob. We're dead.
2: (laughs) We're dead inside.
1: (laughs) But then as you get older and you watch more movies and you see it, you're like, oh, my God, this is just pap. It's totally trite. I mean, just short of being a Nicholas Sparks movie, which you know is going to be pap because it's Nicholas Sparks. Right. It was so manipulative. It was emotionally manipulative crap. I would much rather watch a movie that was just about the disaster in and of itself who gives a who cares about these people? I just want to know about the disaster and what happened after that.
2: Jack, I love you, but you have to die. Well, no, I think there's plenty of room for. Nope, you have to die, and then I'm gonna throw right. the diamond in the sea. However, it was. It's, yeah, no. So bold yeah. Posi- again, bold <laughs> positions. Uh, but what actually <laughs> struck me is you're you're an anarchist, right? Yep, that's true. You're an anarchist, and yet your positions. If you go to roughphillips2020.com. And read her positions, they're pretty in line with what a strict constitutionalist would support. Like, uh, uh, the ones that have given up their, you know, fear of foreigners and things like that and actually read the Constitution and seen where it actually limits the powers that are supposed to limit the powers of government to. This would be, in my mind, as a former constitutionalist and, and now recovering uh, a spooner-ist, uh, I I I... I would read that the old me would have read that and been like, yeah, that's pretty good. Is Was that an intentional thing? Or is this just your sort of the your, your mechanism for achieving statelessness is using the plain language in the Constitution of saying we really need to limit government first and then going from there?
1: It's a couple of things. The reason why we're doing this is twofold. I mean, one, it is a step toward ultimately a stateless society. But it's also, you know, in that conversation is a recognition that our culture has been indoctrinated into a mindset that at worst, government is still a necessary evil. So we have sort of the society of people who've never truly understand, have never experienced freedom. We, you know, we talk about it in jingoistic terms during Independence Day or whatever, we invoke nationalistic or traditionalistic sentiments, but nobody's actually tasted what truly freedom is. So, we have to combat that mentality. Additionally, we use government as basically a cure for all of our existential crises. Like, I feel bad about some event happening. So, I'm going to turn to my elected representative to do something about it because as a I'm proxy. too overworked. Yep. Right. I'm too overworked. I'm yep. too overtaxed. I'm too overtired. I can't do anything about it. But it makes me feel a little bit better about the terrible things because somebody's doing something somewhere. Exactly. So, that's kind of where we're at culturally. So, what we wanted to do when we crafted our platform is we wanted to talk about these things only within as a sort of a first step, like this is what we're going to do in this, these parameters so that we can actually have people see what truly having a constitutional republic as it was designed was supposed to be as step one, taste a little bit of freedom. Feels good. Let's get some more. Right. But the other aspect of it is, is because self-ownership and personal responsibility are a huge aspect of the whole libertarian philosophy. What we felt was important was to be able to say, yes, we are seeking the highest executive office in the land. This is true. However, we're going to create constraints on what we can and cannot do. And we're going to use this mold as indicia of our pledge to you that we are not going to go outside of these lanes because personal responsibility and self ownership is hugely important. And you need to be able to trust that I will not go beyond this. People need to have that trust again. I'm not saying. You should trust necessarily politicians. But if you are electing somebody to represent you in government, you need to be able to trust that they are going to do what they say they're going to do within the parameters of that office. So or, that's that's kind of the twofold aspect to it.
2: Or at least try, <laughs> at least at least intend to. Um, the no, I agree 100 the, percent. The entire basis of libertarianism is you own yourself. You own your body. You own the product of your. You own your labor. You own the product of your labor, which means you own your property. That's an inherently empowering and empathetic message, which we sometimes present in less than empathetic ways. But that's a whole other subject. Um, but the it's we're working it, on it. <laughs> you know, we have our moments. But um, someone described it as LPD, Libertarian Personality Disorder, and um, and and it, it's it's a real thing. Um, but you know, we have this great message, and you're right. You use the 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 constitutional framework that and it also presents the narrative that when we get elected and we swear to uphold my constitution we'll actually do it as opposed to the other parties who use that as like you said like a jingoistic you know the constitution which is like this uh abstract term they use to refer to whatever it is they decide they want to do so no i agree uh, 100 percent on that now while i have you here will you sign on to the uh muddied waters media platform, which is really just one thing, that we want to see a legalization of recreational plutonium?
1: I love that you just went right back to my screen. Like,
2: <laughs> will you or will you not?
1: <laughs> yeah, and then do the hand class where you're like, oh, where's the heat lamp? Uh, <laughs> legalization or decriminalization? Which would you prefer?
2: I, I, I Decriminalization, because I don't want them to tax my nukes.
1: There you go. I don't want yes.
2: regulation and taxing of my nukes. So you support you support decriminalization of, of our of my, of my of my recreational mcnukes.
1: Yeah, well, technically, what you're asking is, do I support decrim- decriminalization of you owning something that you mind out of the earth? It's not technically a nuclear weapon until you're able to split the atom. But yes, I <laughs> support your right to take from your property what you mind and do with it what thou wilt. Uh, provided, of course, you do not harm others.
2: Right, which is a big one with that. That would be yes. a big one with yeah, thermonuclear weapons. Sadly, I lost all of mine uh, in a tragic um, nuclear boating, boating. accident. Uh, nuclear submarine <laughs> accident it was terrible. Um, so that's seas-worth. how
1: that underwater volcano occurred.
2: <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but, you know, I may or may not have been near Japan in 2011. But, um, was so, okay. it a
1: submarine that sank per chance?
2: i've said enough i've said enough bottom line is i i don't have them anymore it's very very sad um so this is this is an interesting uh question i have which is why i wrote it um like (laughs) me you're against you're against all taxation um short of ending the state and all taxes which ideally is what we'd like what would you consider as a as a secondary step? So, like when people talk about all these different types of taxes, what do you consider to be the quote unquote ideal tax as we're working towards? You know, not having any.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness, I, um, it, it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it, but but yeah, but I actually I, I always find that a little bit frustrating getting asked this question because you're effectively asking, would you? prefer to be vaginally raped or anally raped? Like it's still rape. You're yeah. still being negatively impacted. They're both terrible things. It doesn't make it slightly less worse because right. it's in your preferred orifice, you know? So I realize that's like the most classless way of explaining <laughs> this, but I think this show is kind of asking me to make some jokes, so I'm going to do it. But, but but that's that's really the problem inherent in that question is that it's right. saying like, would you prefer something terrible over something terrible? Something no, else I that's neither. terrible. Okay. Right. Like I have no desire to replace a bad concept with another bad concept, even if we feel that it might be slightly less worse. Rather, what I'd like to do is chip away at that bad concept until it's completely gone. Okay. I'd rather just get rid of and slowly roll back in whatever capacity we can the existing tax system. Not replace it with something else. Okay.
2: Note to self stop advocating for value added anal tax. Okay. So um, (laughs) it's a shortcoming of mine. Um, So obviously, you
1: got your wife. (laughs) Good girl.
2: Yeah. There's so many things I'm not going to say now. Um, so the, obviously the biggest thing everyone's been talking about for the last like several days has been gun control because of these mass shootings. We had the Gilroy, California shooter and the El Paso shooter who both appear to have been, uh, white nationalists. Actually the El Paso shooter was like a white national socialist. Um, then you've got the, uh, Dayton, uh, Ohio shooter who appears to, uh, have been a, uh, a democratic socialist who supported, uh, Bernie Sanders and, and Liz Warren, um, Obviously right now it is very difficult to talk about our beliefs about gun control because you have people who are inundated with fear for themselves and their children and loved ones they're being inundated with mass media programming to, designed to, you know, get them to want to disarm and then you're dealing with a lot of libertarians who will say stuff like my guns matter more than your children and, and it, 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 it doesn't augur well for, for us often. I, I actually posted I, um, a couple days ago. I said, right, this was like on Friday or Saturday. And I said, if you're not able to uh, advocate for gun rights in a way that doesn't demonstrate empathy for others, maybe just get off the internet until like Tuesday. Um, so, so just maybe, just maybe get off the internet. Um, how do you, and how then should we, what do you think right now is a good way to message to people while also empathizing to people because this is a scary time this is a time when both parties are talking about some serious restrictions on the types of guns we can have the types of people who can have them how do we combat that without coming off as seeming like we don't care about people that are being you know killed in the street
1: right well i think that this is something that you know we always run into there's a tragedy that occurs and it of course is incredibly heartbreaking and terrible and then the natural response is well we need to do something You know, there's something that has to be done. And again, because we do look at government as the solution for all that ails us, that is kind of a natural response for people nowadays to look to government to solve this problem. But some things cannot be solved by government. And really, well, actually nothing can. (laughs) Nothing um, can be solved. Nothing can be solved by government. Government doesn't do anything well. It can't even solve itself. Right. So, um, you know, my big thing that I would say to anyone who is very rattled by this tragedy, as they very well should be, is that I would strongly caution them from making rash decisions, just because a good example would be 9-11. 9-11 is a prime example of a huge tragedy that befell and affected all of us deeply. And in the response to that, what did we end up with? We had the USA Patriot Act rammed through within a matter of hours. We increased the size of the surveillance state we increased the scope of the federal government at the expense of our civil liberties. And we started to engage in more warfare, which right now we're currently in Afghanistan longer than we were in Vietnam. Yeah. And all of that is a knee-jerk response to fear. We have to stop allowing fear to dictate to us what we should do. Instead, we need to take pause, You know, permit ourselves as a nation and as individuals to grieve. We should absolutely take time to feel our feelings and grieve because it is a horrendous thing and, and it is heartbreaking.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But we
1: also should allow those feelings to be dealt with in a constructive, healthy way before we ever turn around and try and make something of it. Because I think that the solutions we would create would end up being effectively a immediate feel-good moment that has that comes at the extraordinary expense of everyone else's natural rights. Yeah. So that's my caution to anyone with respect to this. And it doesn't change my opinion on gun control. I am vehemently opposed to gun control because I think that it's important for people to defend themselves. And I think events like this really drive home the point how critical it is that we have that direct capability ourselves because we cannot expect our first responders to be there and stop something like that right that minute. It would mitigate the loss of life if people had access to means of self-defense and if we actually were able to do so so that's that's kind of where we're at and and that's sort of my feeling on it you know take do feel bad because it is horrible and yep. take time to feel bad grieve but don't do anything until you've had an opportunity to truly think about it and the long-term consequences of the decisions you make here on out
2: right yeah no i mean it, it when you think about the fact that the 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 dayton shooter was not able to kill as many people because police were able to take him down. They were already right there because he was in like a nightlife district and they were able to take him down in like less than a minute after the shooting began. It's impossible for armed police to be everywhere. And and if if, right. if, if, if we lived in that kind of reality where armed police were always a minute away, I can assure you that's not a world you'd want to live in. Um, it'd be a very scary place. Um, right. so, so, you know, to me, when I see these things, I think how many more of these things have to happen before we don't want before we start advocating for fewer people to be defenseless. Unfortunately, that's obviously not how most people are, are looking at it because that's not how they've been, for lack of a better term, programmed to think about it. Um, now, as you know, very often, both in on the right and the left of the, I guess, authoritarian spectrum and in, in the general public and, and at large, libertarianism has been a hard sell uh, often. Uh, the, the The message of liberty at time has been a hard sell. How responsible am I for that?
1: <laughs> oh, goodness. The fact that you bring levity to the discussion uh, is actually probably greater than you know what you talked about with the LPD. And in fact, I kind of want to circle back and discuss that if you don't
2: mind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead. This would okay, be the so time to about talk it. about it.
1: Yeah. I have a theory that's unsubstantiated. It's not been through a peer review. It's never been featured in a scholarly journal. Therefore, it's probably not scientific, but I'm going to roll with it anyway. You ready? Yes. Okay. My theory is, is that because we go through this intellectual journey, very few people start out as libertarians, but they go through this intellectual journey where they see the fraud, waste and abuse that's inherent in the state and they reject it. And they come to this point where they realize, oh my goodness, we are living in effectively a soft tyranny and it's not going to get better it's this creeping totalitarianism and it's terrifying particularly if you have children Mm. because then you're like well if it's bad for me now how horrible is it going to be for them there so there's this moral imperative we feel as libertarians to do something about it we're terrified. We're scared. We want to make our world a better place. And even though ideally we would probably live by ourselves and not really communicate with anybody because at the end of it, we want to be left alone to left do alone. what we will. Yep. Um, we are feel like we're effectively forced into getting into politics, which we despise to do something about these things that terrify us. But because of the fact that it's so urgent and dire, and terrifying and so many people seem to reject what we say because it's one of my friends classified it as we're like cassandra we can predict the future but nobody believes what we say like we see the writing on the wall but nobody's listening and And we
2: keep and we keep saying what's going to happen and it happens and we go and everyone's like everyone's (laughs) like well we got to vote we got to vote for for the right person next time it's like "No, no 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 this is this yes but these are not the right people uh, that yet that we're referring to. So yeah, no, exactly. We're we're we keep telling them and they're not listening. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and they're like, Yeah, no, you were right about those eight, nine oh. things back there, but um,
2: you're totally uh, wrong about I don't this. want the
1: yeah. Democrats to win, so I'm gonna double down and vote for this knucklehead and you're like, Oh god. Yeah <laughs> like yeah. you're not helping. So no. yeah, there there comes that frustration and that frustration is naturally going to spill over in very unhealthy ways. And that sometimes reflects itself in how we communicate to others and each other because, you know, we're so passionate and we're scared and we're frustrated and we don't always handle it well. That's really (laughs) what it boils down to. It's not that we have a personality disorder. It's that we we have this urgency and this urgency is not manifesting in the results that we need to see in order to not feel terrified by our government anymore.
2: Right. And yeah.
1: And get a little yelly online.
2: <laughs> yeah, we were e- economically conservative and socially awkward. We um. So I I I um. I didn't coin that, by the way. I I and and we're also tend to be very unique individuals that are very cerebral. Uh, put it this way: when I was in in school, I was a little kid, and my teachers uh, brought. I was a disciplinary problem. This was in the late '80s, and my uh, my teachers brought my 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 parents in and said. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cohen um we believe that your son is retarded and um and so and and they said no I they said no I, I don't think that's true because he's 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 pretty smart and they went no 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 he's definitely a retard and they said we're going to give him a test to see where he falls in our in our retard spectrum and th- these were their words by the way and uh, I would never say this and so I I took their their <laughs> IQ test I scored the absolute highest that one could score on a on a and I test for for retards and and so and so they said well okay then our son's okay and they said no no actually no this is a this is this is we're coming across this we're going to put him in some class uh, a class for very smart retards and um, they now call that honors classes um, and so this is a party uh, for what my teachers um, would have called very smart retards. And, 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 and the, the, the problem is if we want to get outside of that, this sort of knitting circle of intellectualism we've created, we have to make connections that a lot of us just really don't want to make with normal people and and, uh, and, and make those connections to actually grow it into a movement that can affect change. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. But um, I have no good segue for this, uh, but it is time for me to talk about Anchor. Uh, Hey guys, are you thinking of making a podcast? Well, I hope you are. Because if you are, Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. They have creation tools, you see, that allow you to record and edit your podcast, so it sounds great. Uh, They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. Now get this, you can easily make money from your podcast, as we do, with no minimum listenership. That is incredible. That's actually that is actually very incredible. Um, So if you're thinking of making a podcast, be sure to download the Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started today. And let us know. And if like, unless your content is horrifying, we'll 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 subscribe to you if you subscribe to us. But like, don't be Nazis or something. Like, be something like something we could we could sign off on. Um, Speaking of podcasting, your husband is uh, Johnny Adams, better known as Johnny Rocket. That's right. He is one of the people, when I started this podcast, I'm like, I hope my show is as good as Johnny Rockets, although he's got that really cool, like, kind of gritty voice, whereas I sound like the token Jewish news anchor on your local program. Um, But (laughs) now, did you guys meet in the Liberty Movement, or how how did that happen?
1: Yeah, we actually met because of his podcast. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, he was the first person to interview me after I announced. Oh, wow. yeah, that's how I met him, and then we just had such a, a stitch on the radio that we kept talking afterward, and the
2: rest is history. Oh, so y'all just got married?
1: Yeah, in April. Oh,
2: oh, oh wait, how long have you been running for president? Since July of last year. Oh, wow. So you're, oh, okay, that's when I started my show. I was so enveloped in my show for the per- first few months, I didn't even, because I, I think I first heard of of you running earlier this year, so... That's very interesting. so I have a question, which is very <laughs> I, I wrote it, which is why it's good. Um, a lot of my uh, viewers I need a better segue than that um, but a, a lot of my viewers and listeners are anarchists like us, many of whom believe that voting is violence and that therefore we shouldn't vote um, which is can you know you're an anarchist like me it's it's a compelling message. what is your what is your message to them?
1: Well, I pretty much am, the reason why I am involved in politics, notwithstanding the fact that I do want to affect change, and I, this is the vehicle by which I do it, is that I recognize that we have a defensive aspect to us being involved in politics, and we should look at voting as a matter of being defensive. You know, I, I know that it's not ideal. The system in and of itself is aggressive, and it's based on aggression, Which is the idea that you, as an individual, can cast a vote, and if there's a simple majority, then whatever will will be applied to everyone equally. And that's of course right. So the system, in and of itself, is flawed because of that. But this is the existing system that we have. And while as much as I would love to say we should opt out, I think things like Ruby Ridge and Waco are illustrative of the fact that that's not really something the government's going to let us do. So you have a choice. You can either opt out of voting and then just deal with whatever that simple majority of those who choose to vote give you or you can vote defensively. You can vote for a candidate who actually represents what you believe in. You, or you can run for office yourself. You can vote for Harambe. I mean that's a defensive measure. What if he actually got all those votes? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, I mean that's my question. Like if he actually got it. What are you going to do? Yeah, what you, They just trot out Dig a dead gorilla.
2: <laughs> Dig was, him up like, and put his put his paw on the Constitution because we voted for this guy.
1: Right. <laughs> and then, oh man, you know he probably did more good in his brief, sad life than most of the people who've been president have done. So
2: what did he you do? Go. What did he do wrong? Other than pull a kid's pants up after he fell. Nothing.
1: Yeah. He straightened him out, he sent him on his way, and they're like, you got to die. Brushed
2: him you off and die. said, there you go. And then they, then they killed him. It's Yeah, they're so... like, since
1: we can't shoot the parents, we're going to have to kill the gorilla. God. That's I
2: just sadly. Everybody's throat, didn't I? <laughs> no, but no, but that's sadly, it's, that is truer than I think any of us want to uh, admit. Uh, we have a comment from Jimmy Mahaney. Uh, who said, I uh, was an official messaging director for an LP candidate. There's a line in marketing that people don't buy products, they buy results. But libertarians keep trying to sell the product, which are the policies, not the result of those policies. Uh, We keep winning debates, but have the worst marketing department. And winning debates is a relative term. When we get all the facts right, but everyone there hates us, we won but did we did we win or did we make a bunch of enemies while demonstrating our correctness to ourselves?
1: Do you mean like how we won in 2016 because we did better than we did in 2012? Like that kind of winning?
2: I I guess so. I <laughs> It's a big you know, victory so, there. This I, is
1: like the great irony of being libertarian. Like our whole the self-ownership and personal responsibility, we we prize a system of meritocracy. We want the most successful people to indeed achieve you know the the folks that have the greatest skills and capabilities to do well and yet when it comes to our politics (laughs) like our actual performance as a political party we're like we did it (laughs) it's very participation prize and it's so sad and weird like that's not good guys showed up yeah i mean every uh, good job on trying and there's a lot of wonderful people who worked very very hard on the Johnson weld campaign right. I will not ever cast aspersions on their efforts and endeavors but to t- walk away from that and then feel like we did well I joked with a buddy of mine where I was like okay we got like a million votes in 2012 we got 4 million votes in 2016 that's a 300% increase or a 400% increase if we just right. keep getting like a 400% increase we'll have this a lock in
2: like we'll have 3 3 billion votes by the end of 2040. Yeah, no, I mean it, it it's it's it is a very participation trophy. It's very like world's greatest dad shirt after an election like world's greatest libertarian. We did the best of any libertarian running. And you know, and also we've got a trade war and, you know, concentration camps on the border. Um right. So but I, if you can if you can
1: if you as a candidate can at least at the very minimum Convince just by your rhetoric and passion and, of course, you standing firm on what you believe, if you can, at the very minimum, convince a Republican or a Democrat to start parroting and employing those talking points and bring it into the greater cultural conversation. Now, that is something to say you've achieved. Right. Like that's significant.
2: What do you think? I agree with all of that. What do you think this comes from our seeming desire to find the newest failed Republican or former Republican and throw him up on the mantle and say, this is our guy because more people have heard of him than us. And, you know, uh, and and I have nothing wrong with, I have no problems with uh, Gary Johnson or, or Bob Barr or Justin Amash or whatever. But why, like, what? where do you think this comes from that we are like, so worried about a guy who, in this case, probably wouldn't win a primary in his home district because he, you know, bashed the de facto head of his former party, as opposed to finding someone like, having someone like you, who's an actual libertarian who can actually articulate libertarian beliefs and ideology and and present a stark contrast from the two... You know, heads of the duopoly of the of the constant war and 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 and, and, and caging party. W- where do you think that comes from?
1: Well, I think this actually kind of rolls back into our conversation about the libertarian personality disorder because of the fact that we do recognize what's going on, and we are terrified, and we feel we have a moral imperative to do something about it. There is kind of this desperation inherent in that feeling where we need to have. We need to get whatever we can to make a splash, make a difference, get that media attention, get these things done and drive it home. And so a lot of people look at it like, well, what's going to get us media attention? Well, somebody who's already garnered media attention is going to do that. What else is going to be significant or newsworthy? Well, somebody who previously held political office, regardless of the laws that they enacted or how badly they did. Like... (laughs) So I think that's that's kind of where it comes in, but the problem with that mentality, and this is this is the tough part, because I think that, you know, we do want to see something significant happen right now. Right, so, you know, something's got to change. That's a fact. We don't realize that this is a marathon and not a sprint. All of this is a marathon and not a sprint. We did not get government to this level overnight, and in order to roll it back and to get it truly to a point where we can start talking about not just talking about, but actually engaging in a stateless society, it's going to take a long time. It's like weight loss. It's a battle of attrition. And knowing that we need to be able to hunker down and hold out longer. And we have to have people who are legitimately decent standard bearers doing so. Right. Because if we do, if we try to get the immediate results, but at the expense of what we believe, then again, that's another, we've achieved nothing. So that's really sort of the problem that we're experiencing.
2: It's not a marathon or it's not a sprint. It is a marathon. But yet when you think of, I mean, this time in 2015, Donald Trump was polling at like 3%. So a lot of stuff can happen running even in a third party. Obviously, the main point of running for any office, but especially as president, as a libertarian, obviously you want to win. If you do not win, you can do, you can at least use earned media to push the message of libertarianism, which ninety nine percent of people have not really heard, they've heard of libertarians, but then they see libertarians as, you know, boomer former Republicans who smoke a lot of weed and don't know the capitals of countries that were bombing. And and again, that it's not an aspersion against any. That wasn't any. I'm that wasn't anyone. <laughs> no, no, no. I wasn't saying you. I'm saying like the people that we've I'm been. That wasn't about you. <laughs> By the way, I wasn't talking about anyone in particular there, Uh, but I mean, instead of doing that, you could use that earned media to actually push actual libertarianism and you could even get, if you don't win, get a big enough number in the polling to force the Democrat and Republican candidates to add libertarian positions to their platform and potentially even add it to their actual policy prescriptions if, if, if they get elected and you don't. You know, take a page from the progressives who figured out 100 years ago that it doesn't matter which party wins as long as we just keep creeping forward with what we want. They don't look at it as a sprint. They're OK with right. Donald Trump getting as as much as they pretend not to. If Donald Trump gets reelected, that's fine. So long as he keeps pushing stuff that was, you know, the standard Democrat talking points 10, 15, 20 years ago, they're fine with that. And and we need to adopt that same thing. Having a Kim Ruff or a you know any of the other candidates by the way, we're not officially endorsing anyone, uh, but I really like this one. Um but uh but no endorsement. Not an endorsement. Um but uh uh at least not yet. Um to have someone like you running who yes, you could you could win. You could win as much as anyone else can. If you do not win, you could at least be a face for libertarianism that the vast majority of Americans have never been exposed to. Why we would do that instead of looking at a guy who's not running for president and not running as a libertarian and throwing our panties at him and going, Justin, please, Justin, can you hear? I love you. And he's not even, he's like a, he's a liberty adjacent conservative, which is fine, but I don't get
1: it. Yeah. I would like it if people threw their panties at me. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real. If
2: I had known.
1: Bummed me out. No. I, could,
2: I got a sock. I got, I could throw. I'm I got like, a sock. I'm so-
1: free. I'm, all I'm
2: like Dobby the house elf. <laughs> I, this is the most undergarment I have right now. I apologize. But I if I had had forethought, I would have gotten like a, a bra from the closet or something. And. I, my my wife's bra to be clear Lying um, at me
1: like i'm tom jones <laughs> yeah like tom
2: jones exactly like tom jones you're the you're the elvis presley of libertarianism um so so i'm dead is what you're saying <laughs> you're the no you're you're the 19 you're 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 the thin elvis from the 50s and 60s that we all grew up to well i was i wasn't alive yet but that our parents grew up to love this analogy is not going well um it's
1: okay but yeah, just I, I love what you had to say, everything that you had to say, because that's one of the things I always talk about is, you know, you look at the way that the socialists did. They tried to be very forefront in politics at the turn of the 20th century. And then yeah. when that didn't yield the results they wanted, what instead they did was they infiltrated academia, unions, the, uh, you know, the legal system. Yeah. They went yeah. into all these other areas and started to push those ideas that way. And then that became part of the larger cultural conversation and that manifested in a sociopolitical sea change. That is how we got to this point. So I always tell people it's like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. We're going to do everything they did backwards and in heels. That's effectively what we're trying to do. You have to trim it back. You've got to roll it back and you, you can absolutely take a page from their playbook. The other thing is, is that in the era of the internet and social media, the game is, it's changed. It's not the same as it used to be. I mean, you, oh, I don't yeah. know if you study media at all, but one of the things that we talk about a lot in media is with respect to when we went from radio to television and how that changed the debate. Hmm. Because, you know, a really prime example that's often trotted out is the debate between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. And Nixon, Have you how they looked, the yeah. Yep. Right, you listen to it on the radio, Nixon had it on lockdown. You watch it on TV, Well, JFK with that weird disease that he had looks very swarthy, like he'd been in Bermuda, <laughs> And just came in off of the golf course. Whereas Nixon didn't have anybody put any makeup on him. And then he was like sweating and looked uncomfortable. So this is something that they had to pivot politically and adjust to.
2: <laughs> what he <what laughs> <No. disease? laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, what does disease? Do you know,
1: j- oh, goodness. I don't know what it's called. But if you if you Google it, you'll you'll find out he had some sort of a I think it was a. Goodness, I don't know if. I'd have to look it up. I'll let you know later. But okay, yes, he did have you. a disease that made his skin look that bronzed.
2: So that's quite a disease it... to have.
1: Yeah, right. Well, and it actually it had a bunch of other aspects to it as well, like respiratory oh, okay. illness and stuff. Just random oh. facts for you, just random things I know. Did My not know is, that.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, he's dead now. I, I don't remember how, but yes, he's since passed. Anyway, could um... have been that
2: disease. <laughs>
1: yeah (laughs) yeah um anyway my point is they had to adjust they had to pivot in that age of television right and now the same thing can be said about social media and that's something that's going to make it fundamentally different trump was successful not just because he had an assist from things like cambridge analytica but also because of the fact that he exploited social media that's a huge way of getting out to people now, granted, he also exploited the least common denominator, which yeah. is like, you know, hysterical racism and <laughs> bigotry and, and played and on fear. People's fear of he, the other. He, he played right. on fear
2: and turned it into those. He weaponized it into, the, into those things.
1: Right. Yeah. But it got people out the door and at the poll. Yeah. And so we have to absolutely look at those successes as much as we dislike them and see what worked for them. Now, I would strongly recommend people not put out hysterically racist content or racist content at all. Like, even if it was just like low key racist, like don't do it. Non
2: hysterical racist content. Yeah.
1: But you take advantage of social media, take advantage of word of mouth, get that information out. And we can of course do the same thing documentarians do, which is you can, if you've ever seen the formula for a documentary, it's very basic, which is for the first time, you know, 90 minutes of the documentary, they scare the bejesus out of you about whatever issue like, oh, my God, the honeybees are going away or whatever the situation is. And then the last 30 minutes are like, now, here's what you can do at home. You can recycle oh, plastic. Yeah. It has bupkis to do with honeybees, but it's a feel good thing. It gives them people some hope. It gives so- them something to do. Right. And that's like totally spinner. what we do yeah. in our own messaging in our campaign because we get asked a lot of questions about what do you think about some state or local law? Right. And the reality is, I can't do anything about that. This is federal office. This is, I have nothing to do with that. I can talk about these things on a federal level. I cannot enforce those things if they're on a federal level. But here's what you can do at home you can. You know, whether it's work on a referendum or recall or initiative, you can write your legislator, you can work with a, an NGO or a nonprofit to put forward legislation. And there's a, a billion things you can do at home. If this is something you care about. And that's our documentary. end. you know, government is terrible. Government is scary. We live in a soft tyranny. We're marching toward totalitarianism. But here's what
2: you can here's do. Here's what you home. can do. Yeah. yeah. We've got a lot of comments from people that are legitimately worried about the bees by the way so if you want to you might (laughs) want to add a you really
1: should be because they're yeah it's actually gotten to sorry random fact but because of the fact that honeybees have gone away we actually are at the point where you have scientists who are going to have to basically go and inseminate you know good god how can i not think of this word pollinate pollinate plants to ensure that they continue to thrive so it's, it's actually pretty horrible what's going on with the honeybees it has nothing to do with recycling plastic though
2: Coming soon, the um, B-plank of the um, Ruff Phillips uh, campaign. Um, So I have just a couple- Our plan B. uh, (laughs) If you you call it that, I will endorse you on our very next episode. Um, If you have a thing called plan B-E-E and and it's like a detailed libertarian thing, I can't not endorse you at that point. Right, and then plan
1: uh, C is about something maritime related.
2: (laughs) You should do a whole thing. Plan D is like- Oh, I could go so many places. There's nothing. There's nothing. Um, uh, So, uh, so. America needs love. America needs love. We're going to give America that D. And here's what you can do. Um, So I wanted to ask you, because I know I've, I've got, I think, about maybe 15, 20 minutes left. Is that correct? With you? Yes. Okay, uh, so I wanted to ask you your opinion. I don't even know if you have an opinion on this. I read what I'm told is a hit piece and watched a little bit of a clip, so I'm not fully sure what was going on. Do you have much of an opinion to give on this uh, Libertarian Party, LNC, Nick Sarwark, $75 an hour thing? Like, it, I, I, I've, I've gotten so many conflicting reports that I don't even know what to think. Do you really have a strong opinion, opinion one way or the other on it?
1: Oh, honey, I have opinions on everything, but <laughs> out of respect oh, for I? the people, yeah, I'm like, I got opinions on everything. Um, sure, I mean, I absolutely do have an opinion on it, but out of respect for all the individuals involved and the fact that my running mate is a sitting member of the LNC, as is my husband, I have chosen to abstain from vocalizing any of those opinions because okay. I think it's important to keep it separated.
2: Okay, yeah, no problem, no problem. And like I said, we are not really banging the drum one way or the other. I, I Listened to and read and watched enough where I'm like, yeah, I'm not fully sure what happened here, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not active enough in the LNC to really, you know, agitate one way or the other. So I, I, I've made, I made peace with it. Um, so we have some questions from our followers before we go to our lightning round, which is going to be Ooh. fun. Yeah. Lightning round. Final, my fellow Americans, we call it. Um, so, uh, a few questions from followers. Uh, number one, what would you say are the three worst things that trump has done uh while in office if you had to pick the first oh, the top three
1: three worst things there's just so many <laughs>
2: um <laughs> it's a corticopia yeah. of bad things yeah
1: yeah there's just yeah <laughs> a melange of terrible things <laughs> i used the french word that's, i'm not sure if it's correct that's classy <laughs> It still it
2: sounded classy if nothing else it sounded classy
1: uh I would say one of the things that really stands out in my mind, and actually I've I've discussed this a couple of times because when we were discussing the Mueller report, um, you know, when this whole conversation was happening on social media and beyond, a lot of people were saying, well, he needs to be impeached. And in the case of the Mueller report, that whole thing says that, okay, there may not have been a crime, but he may have obstructed our ability to investigate this non-crime. That's not an impeachable offense. However, if you do want to impeach the president, what you could do is go after him for continuing the unconstitutional war in Yemen. That's a totally impeachable offense. That's a good one. Of course, in order to do that, you would also have to go after Obama because he's the one who started it. So that's something that is incredibly horrible that he's done is continuing to perpetuate this war. In fact, we have I think nine active wars if you include advisors and drone strikes going right. on currently, yeah. not just Afghanistan and Iran. So yeah, I would say those are, are terrible things that he's done. The saber rattling BS that was going on with Iran was incredibly irresponsible. I think yeah. that was a an awful thing that he was doing. Now all of us, of course, who are barely you know vaguely well versed on foreign history, recognize the fact that things like the Gulf of Tonkin. And the Lusitania and other events have been, you know, either they didn't happen at all or they did happen, but the extent to which was greatly overblown in order to justify warfare. And it's just from a libertarian's perspective, it's just so superficially obvious what's going on that you're like, how is anybody like thinking this is a real thing?
2: Boats being attacked in gulfs. Like it, 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 it's just their standard go-to. It's like uh, uh, cards against humanity. They throw out boats being attacked in gulfs, and then you know go on. So okay.
1: yeah, like Mad Libs. I like that. Yeah, it's a Mad but they just Lib keep
2: story. they just keep using the same Mad Lib for like the last hundred and twenty years. Uh, boats being attacked in gulfs. We have to do it now. So yeah,
1: this is it's so true. I mean, because it's not really something that's substantiated. You know, you if you have a land conflict, you know, if, if somebody drops a bomb there's obviously going to be fallout. You know, you have things to substantiate evidence to prove that. But in the case of, you know, something happened on the seas, that's a little bit more difficult to to do a post a post event and, and try and find that evidence. So exactly. that, I thought, yeah. was highly irresponsible of him to, to allow that to occur. The other aspect that I would say that is really irresponsible of him is, is enacting all these tariffs, and you can see that negatively impacting people just on your day-to-day i was just saying last night that when we were in massachusetts i got out to lunch with my campaign director and the our waiter told us if you want avocado it's going to cost you like five dollars for an avocado because um just because of tariffs it's so much more difficult to get these things imported right now that's a very very small example and i can extrapolate how that affects manufacturing because that's the industry i work in but because of tariffs We have a situation where we can't get the goods or services that we want. We have other countries that are being punitive with us and trying to negatively impact our industries. And of course, we're preventing us from growing economically because whether we like it or not, the idea of buy American, only use American is a myth at this point. And we're an international economy. So that is another thing that's just, I'm I'm flabbergasted by that one. On some of his political stuff, I'm like, well, he's not a politician. Maybe he's just doesn't know where his office ends and, you know, the rest of the world begins. But on the stuff that regards business, I'm like, how irresponsible yeah. like, how did, were you ever successful? <laughs> and if you look at his track record, his successes are largely built on bankruptcy, restructuring and then doing it again with a handout. So, right. no, he's yeah, he's not a bad person, per se. I don't think that he's an evil incarnate, but he's no. done quite a lot of really illogical, harmful things. Okay.
2: Um, Do you find the labeling of the migrant detention detention facilities on the border as concentration camps to be an accurate label?
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Anytime you inter somebody, um, you know, indefinitely, (laughs) the state is responsible for keeping people You know, interred for indefinitely. Yeah, absolutely. That's a concentration camp. You can gussy it up in any other term you want to, but it is what it is, whether we're doing it to the Japanese during World War II or it was done to the Jews during the Holocaust. It's still the same thing. You're forcing people to live in effectively a ghetto indefinitely because they're doing something you deem unacceptable.
2: Right. Yeah. So the history lesson here for those who disagree with this uh, and you're wrong um, is that in the 19, the very first, uh, camps to be called concentration camp concentration camps in, in German, I think that's, I think that's German, uh, was in the 1920s prior to the Holocaust or, or even Hitler, it was to house refugee Jews that were seeking asylum from the genocide, the pogroms in Russia. So they were called concentration camps. They were not part of the Holocaust or any genocide. They were there to basically create tough conditions for refugees to deter them from coming which is exactly what's happening on the southern border right now. So it is a very, I just want to get your opinion on that before telling you the correct opinion. Um, Do you consider yourself a feminist? These are interesting questions for my my followers.
1: Yeah, actually, these are. These are very enjoyable. Yes, I do consider myself a feminist, but my feminism is nowhere near what the third and fourth and whatever the hell is going on wave. 87 dimension
2: wave feminism. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was like, what, what, the waves keep coming. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's tsunami like, feminism.
1: Yeah, my the way that I classify my feminism is strictly a matter of recognizing that women, just like every other individual, are endowed with the natural rights to life, liberty, and justly acquired property, property, property being defined as your body and the fruits of your labor. Right. And you have every right to do with it as you see fit, provided, of course, you don't infringe on the rights of others. That is something that, You know, regardless of gender or sex or religion or creed or any other aspect that could subdivide us, we are all endowed with these natural rights. So as a feminist, my perspective is, is that, you know, just because we're women doesn't mean we should be denied the same amount of respect for those natural rights. If somebody infringes on them, they should be held as equally accountable were it done to a man. And if we violate somebody's rights, we should be held equally accountable as were we a man. So that's really where my feminism is, is is legitimate equality. And to be clear on equality, because this is something that's oftentimes misunderstood, there's two types of equality. There's negative equality, you know, that concept of equality of opportunity. And then there's equality of outcome, which would be the positive equality, one where society somehow has this duty to provide these things for you, ensure that you all end up with the same thing. Now, I reject equality of outcome. I prefer like the only equality that's acceptable to me as a feminist is equality of opportunity, which is I should be able to achieve to the extent of my capabilities, my knowledge, skills and abilities right. and not have any sort of limitations to those. In the same token, though, I should not have any handicaps afforded me or handouts or assists like I should be able to do it based strictly on my own merit. And if I'm good at what I do, I should be rewarded, measure it to that. And that's something I'll negotiate with my business, you know, the business owner. And if I'm not good at it, then I shouldn't have that opportunity. It's that simple. Yeah. So and, and I think a lot of women actually do feel that way because there is something very frustrating about those kind of equal opportunity laws that are put forward to give women effectively, you know, like Title IX or whatever. They give us that handicap, that leg up and that hand out. It's offensive and paternalistic. That's actually the great irony. It's like there's nothing more, like, um, just insulting to our character. Yeah, it's very
2: misogynistic it, that you need this thing. You know, right? If you're going to do as well as the boys, then you know you're going to need this this you know handicap assistance. Yeah,
1: right. And uh, you know, on a on an inter you know on a deep level, on an emotional level, it, it's actually incredibly destructive to your concept of self worth. Because you don't actually know if what you achieved was done because you were legitimately good at it or if because somebody was just cutting you a favor, you know, And the same token, you like, you want to be able to own your successes and you want to be able to own your failures. That's the ideal experience for anybody. So that's where I come from as a feminist. But when it starts to get into this, we're better than, we need greater consideration, men are dirt, all that other nonsense. I'm out <laughs> like, okay. I want nothing to do with that silliness
2: and no affirmative action for chicks that's how I put it. um uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rough Kim uh, rough Phillips 2020. so we got a lot of uh, uh, comments from people you know like all outraged about the whole avocado thing that you know what let, let's make something clear something like half of all the goods that you as an American consume uh, are either imported from Mexico or contain at least one uh, component. That was imported from Mexico, uh, and I think if you add things that are made with things that have components that are imported from Mexico, the number goes up even higher. Oh, yeah, it is impossible in the economy that we live in, in the world that the 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 quality of life we've created for ourselves to expect to get well priced, easily available goods and services across the entire spectrum of goods goods and services within the 48 states and Alaska and Hawaii and especially when you're looking at your immediate neighbors like Mexico, Canada, the Caribbean and then yes also China uh, it, it's impossible not to need them for that. And if you really want to not need them for that or need them less, then you push for deregulation within our domestic market so that, so that our our small businesses and manufacturers aren't priced out of the market. Anyway, that's a whole that I could do a whole episode about that. I yeah. have one I, go no, ahead.
1: I, I absolutely love that because this is something that's very interesting. And, you know, in and amongst the many things that are of interest to me, just generally industrial farming is, a, is something that's of interest to me. So I've watched a lot of documentaries, read a lot of books about it. One of the things is, is that we because of the fact that we have that supermarket and we are very divorced from our food, we have been taught to expect to have certain foods year round all the time. Right. You know, oranges, citrus only really is edible in wintertime. And, you know, like peaches are summertime. That's like, these are, there are times where these things are seasonally available, but because we have an international economy, we're able to have people on the other side of the equator, send us stuff that's blooming for their seasons so that we do have that luxury of eating all these things that we want to eat year round. So unless you're getting, you want to get really, really comfortable with only eating with the seasons in your backyard. And believe you me, as somebody who lives in Arizona where we have caliche soil and you can't grow hardly anything. Exactly. I'm not interested in it. So, yep. you know, if you want to have that variability and dynamism in your diet. Then yeah, absolutely. You want to have an international economy.
2: Right. So final question. I, I agree hundred percent. final question from the follower, and then we're going to go to final my fellow Americans. Um, do you believe Antifa is a terrorist organization. These were some compelling questions, by the way, to my followers. I, I appreciate your your questions.
1: Goodness. This is like the second time I've been asked this. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because I'm like, there's nothing I can do about that as, as somebody running for president. Um, well, I think any group that engages in violent acts against others strictly because of a difference in ideology um, as opposed to a matter of self-defense, could definitely qualify thusly. But in order to label them thusly, I have to say that they would be treated that way in the criminal justice system. And right. I don't know that that's appropriate. I would much rather it be on an individual-by-individual, case-by-case basis. So if there's a person who happens to be a member of Antifa and then does some violence against another, then they should absolutely be held accountable for that. Right. But Antifa as a whole just like neo-Nazis as a whole. Yes, you can have crazy-ass ideas. That's fine. That's the reality about living in a world with some modicum of freedom. But if it manifests in you harming other people, then you as an individual need to be held accountable. So that's kind of where I'm on that. And I don't think that it's fair to say that just because this is a, a hate group or a terrorist group or any other label you want to assign to it, that their violence is somehow worse then we're the same violence perpetrated by just some blow Joe blow for whatever reason. Right. Like it's murder is murder is murder. Regardless.
2: Assault so is assault is assault. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. So it doesn't right. make it somehow worse because it was Antifa. It's just, it's murder. You right. know, that, Murder's that makes
2: bad. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it, it kind of, it's the same thing as like hate crime legislation. Crimes of violence are, are if it's done because, you hate the personer because you didn't want them in your way, or because you wanted their shoes, and you wanted to take their sh- like. You've committed a crime. You've you've harmed someone. That's what matters, not your intent behind it. But I saw so no, I agree. And also the hypocrisy of us, you know, talking about you know individuals uh, using violence for political aims when that's the entire basis of the state. But that's a whole other subject. Um, yeah. So this—that's a—that's—that's that's that's,
1: okay, they wear nice uniforms.
2: Exactly. If you know, Antifa, if if you really want to get on your game, you gotta you gotta write on 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 fancy looking brown sheets of paper, and you gotta get some nice badges and stuff, and make it make it look nice, make it look legit, like some
1: some epaulettes, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like
2: exactly. Yeah, get some get some, get some get the different <laughs> badges, and make sure everyone has the same uniformity and everything. Then we'll be getting somewhere. So this is final, my fellow Americans, which I literally just started calling that now. Um where I'm going to ask you a, a question, we're going to give you 30 seconds, and what I, the, the way that this question goes is I'm going to name uh, each of the libertarian presidential candidates and um, you're going to tell me uh, the first Simpsons character that pops into your mind. Oh, and no. so, and oh so, no. <laughs> and so Oh so No offense to anyone. Um, and so we're going to put 30 seconds on the clock and start now. Adam Kokesh.
1: Oh my god. It's been so long since I watched The Simpsons. I kinda wanna just call everybody who's a, a libertarian comic book guy. <laughs> you
2: know? <laughs> That's ideal. Um, Arvin Vora.
1: God, I really like him. I don't even want to insult him.
2: <laughs> ben Letter, yeah. or leader. Um hmm. Goodness. So I
1: guess to some extent I would say maybe Bart Simpson because he likes to, he's a bit of a rebel and he says incendiary things.
2: I i actually, I tend to agree with that. The answer we actually had here. Get my oh, you do out. have
1: answers. Oh, good. The an answer okay.
2: is they're all comic book guy. Um,
1: is that what you wrote? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: We'll, we'll, we'll say that's actually. what I, we'll, we'll, <laughs> say, we'll say. That's what I wrote. I actually, I just want to get your opinion on who, which Simpson's character you are.
1: Oh goodness! <sighs> Sometimes I feel like Marge Simpson. <laughs> or, you know, where I'm like, guys, stop fighting. <laughs> Although I do a really mean Ralph Wiggum, so maybe to some extent I'm him. Where I'm like, I'm helping. I'm helping.
2: <laughs> I would not. Of of that group, uh, I would not call you the Ralph Wiggins, but 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 fair enough. My cat's um,
1: breast smells like cat food. <laughs> I mean danger.
2: Um so the
1: children are right to laugh at you, Ralph. Those things wouldn't cut butter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love that. I do show. love
1: him. He's like one of my favorite characters.
2: So no, but I, I always, actually uh, like go no, go ahead.
1: I was gonna say, I think I actually checked with Matt about this where I was saying that um I always think of that band performance where they're like on saxophone, Lisa Simpson. On triangle, Martin Prince. And with a flute up his nose, Ralph Wiggum. <laughs> and then he's like mm, mm, and his dad's like, "That's some fine fluting boy."
2: <laughs> That's the libertarian debate. Is everyone with flutes up their nose? Yeah. That is funny. Um so I, I had a friend who, uh, she she was devastated over the weekend. She used one of those internet things that asked her what, her fa- what Flintstone character she was. And it told her she was Peggy Slaghoople, <laughs> which I don't what? even know. Peggy Slaghoople, which is... Slaghoople. I don't know who that is. I'm not sure that that's a real character. But that has been... She was sure she was Betty Rubble and she was not. She was Peggy Slaghoople. So at least... <laughs> At least,
1: she like jumps out of a one-story building. She's like, "Come back, cool <laughs> world!" <laughs> and she... All my concepts of who I am have been lies.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm Peggy Slack. I I didn't know. So I know we've gone over <laughs> over time with you. I really appreciate you coming on, Kim. Thank you so much uh, for coming on tonight. And uh, before I let you go, I just want to give you a chance to give your final thoughts. Anything you want to promote? Anything that you feel like? You didn't get a chance to talk about any anything you'd like to. Well, obviously, you want to promote your presidential campaign. Anything you want to say, as long as you want, Kim Ruff, the floor is yours.
1: Okay. Well, I think probably what I would like to say most right now is thank you to you and everyone else who's been gracious enough to invite me onto their podcasts and their radio shows and their, their webcasts to be able to talk about these things and spend some time with you. It really means a lot and that's actually a critical aspect of our campaign is getting the word out you guys are contributing in your own way shape and form by allowing me the opportunity to use your show as a platform so i very much appreciate that additionally one of the things that i say a lot about this campaign is notwithstanding the fact that we are focused on being anti-war opening up the marketplace and of course criminal justice reform is the fact that this is really a matter of all hands on deck. I know that it is difficult and frustrating, and there are things that scare you about the world that we live in, and you want to do something about it. And there is absolutely something you can do about it. You can do something, whether you work for our campaign or donate. You can do something by getting the word out. Having a conversation with your friends and neighbors about these issues and making sure that they understand what's going on is hugely important starting your own media company, contributing to somebody else's media company, getting involved with organizations all around, doing things on a local and state level that is a response to and in place of government programs is another way that you can contribute and make our world better. So even if you can't change the world overnight, and we can't, you can absolutely change your world by doing positive actions in your own backyard with your family and your neighbors. So I strongly encourage everybody to do that. And if they're interested in finding out more about our campaign, you can check us out at ruffphillips2020.com. Again, that's ruffphillips2020.com. My name is Kim Ruff, and I am seeking the Libertarian Party nomination for president in 2020.
2: And I am Spike Cohen, and I endorse that overarching message. Um, I, uh, and all of her uh, pa- uh, site and everything else is uh, on her Twitter and Facebook is in the show notes. So be sure to check that out, guys. Uh, Kim, thank you again so much. Stick around. I'm going to talk to you just briefly before the outro. I really appreciate your patience on all this. Um, guys, thank you again for joining us right here on My Fellow Americans. By the way, everyone seems, Kim, to think that you're some kind of hybrid between Marge and Lisa. Oh, that's
1: that's sweet. Thank you. I
2: I, I see that. I totally see that. So, uh, guys, thank you again for tuning in to My Fellow Americans. Uh, This has been a great episode. Uh, Be sure to tune in tomorrow, Thursday night, for uh, the Writer's Block with Matt Wright. He is interviewing someone amazing. You're not going to believe who it is. It's going to tune in for a surprise guest to me uh, for Matt Wright on uh, the Writer's Block uh, for tomorrow night at probably 8 and then uh, on Friday, Shabbat Shalom. It's Jason Lyon who is back for Mister America the Bearded Truth, finally. And uh, and then uh, have a great weekend. And then uh, next Monday, Mister America the Bearded Truth for his non-Shabbat, his Monday, his week beginner episode. And then uh, tune in next Tuesday for uh, the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where uh, Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events with the cheerfulness of a of a. Of a young summer boy, and then tune in next Wednesday. <laughs> but it, but like, what the hell is a summer boy? <laughs> a just a sweet, a sweet summer boy. <laughs> you got it. If you want to know what it is, you tune in next Tuesday for the muddy Bars of freedom, and you too will experience its sweet. Some just tune in summer boyishness. <laughs> that's that's it's not that's not Plan D by the way. Um, and so next Wednesday <laughs> is. God. Then next uh, Wednesday, if I'm if the FCC hasn't somehow uh, taken over the Internet just to shut my show down, I will be here for a brand new spanking summer boy episode of My Fellow Americans. I'm going to stop saying summer boy now. Thank you again for tuning in and God bless you.